We live in a world that doesn't always understand grief, but we do. We see you, we hear you, and we're here to talk about grief in the most real of ways, because we have lived with it too. In this podcast, we'll look at ways to integrate grief into a life that is fulfilling and meaningful for you. There'll be no platitudes or silver linings, but there may be the occasional F-bomb. I'm coach John Polo, and my person died. I'm coach Carolyn Gower, and my person died too. Hey everyone, and a very big welcome to episode 38 of the My Person Died Too podcast, which is entitled, Grief is So Damn Lonely. But John, we have to pause for a moment because it is a very special day today and we're not talking about Valentine's Day. Would you like to tell our listeners what is so special about today? (laughs) Our book comes out. Our book comes out today. You guys can buy it today. The Stupid Shit People Say to Grievers. Our baby is available today. Yes, woohoo, finally. (laughs) And as we said last week, this book is not only for people who are grieving, we know that this book can be so helpful for those who don't yet know grief on a personal level, those who want to support someone they care about as they experience grief, or those who just want to learn. Because the sad truth is that grief will touch all of our lives at some point in time. John, how can everyone get their hands on a copy of our book right now? So for those who want to buy the book, it is available on Amazon. You can just go to Amazon, look at, look up stupid shit. People say to grievers, the book should pop right up. Or you can go to my website, Carolyn's website. There will be links there. Or you can just go to the show note. I can't talk today. Sorry. You can just go to the show notes of this podcast and there will also be a link on there. Okay, now to today's episode. So as it turns out, this is episode 38, and it's also on Valentine's Day, as we said. So it's just given me a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling inside, John, because Tony's favourite number was 38, and we both love to celebrate Valentine's Day in a huge way. And I think that's partly because by the time we had our first Valentine's Day together, Tony had already been diagnosed with cancer. We knew that we were going to have only a limited number of Valentine's Days, so why not make them good, right? And of course, our book coming out today on top of that, well, you know, that's just icing on the cake. Being Valentine's Day today, we decided to do an episode about loneliness because loneliness can be such a big thing for all grieving people, but in particular, for widows and widowers on days like today, when all we hear around us is love and surprising your Valentine with that special gift, blah, blah, blah. Not really something that us widowed folks want to hear. And I've got to tell you, I actually had an interesting moment a few weeks ago. So I walked into the supermarket and, of course, there was a huge display of Valentine's Day cards and soft toys with I love you and be my Valentine. So they're all there to greet me. And my immediate reaction was, oh, I must remember to get a Valentine's Day card for Tony. 
And then I thought, what? You know, hang on, what am I thinking? And I know that might sound a little bit weird to some people that at nearly six years out, that those moments can still occur, but it is completely normal. And it will happen less as time goes by. However, the neural pathways that were created in our brain from our person being that constant part of our day-to-day lives can cause those things to still happen. So it's kind of like when you hear something and your first thought is that you want to tell them about it. It's just that automatic response and these can last for a long time. Yeah, look, I agree with everything you just said. I really, really, really wanted to do this episode today, Carolyn. And there are a lot of reasons for me wanting to do this episode so badly. And we'll get into that here during this episode. But let me start with this. You know, there are 7 billion plus people in this world, 7 billion plus people. And so many humans deal with being lonely. So many humans deal with profound loneliness. And we certainly know that as widowed people, we have dealt with that, right? And deal with that. That being said, for me personally, profound loneliness wasn't a new thing just after Michelle died. I can remember being 12 years old, 12 years old. I was, you know, happy-go-lucky kid, had a bunch of friends, all that good stuff. My mom got incredibly sick and I didn't know what was going on with her. I thought she was going to die. And I shut myself off from the rest of the world. I stopped talking to everybody. I stopped communicating with friends. I just became that kid at school that like never said a word. And my personal journey with loneliness kind of started at that point. And sure, it got better during points in my life, but there were points in my life when it got bad again, worse again, like after Michelle passed. And the statistic is that, you know, widowed people on average lose 70% of their circle. I lost way more. And I can remember being a 31-year-old man now after Michelle passed and being on the floor sobbing, feeling like the most lonely human in the history of the world. And it took me back to when I was a 12-year-old kid, being on the floor sobbing, feeling like the most lonely human in the history of the world. And I wanted to do this episode today because it's such a huge thing Yes, for grieving people and yes, for widowed people, but for so many humans in this world that feel all alone, right? So let's get into it, Carolyn. Let's dig deep on this one. Yeah, yeah, I feel there's a lot to be said. And, you know, loneliness has such a huge impact on a lot of people's lives, as you've just said, John, right across the world. There was actually a recent study done in the US that found that most people cannot talk openly to the people around them about things that are weighing heavily on them. Let's just take a moment to let that sink in. So people are experiencing something hard in their life, something that's really weighing them down, yet they feel that they have no one to talk to about it. So essentially, they can't share their truth. And let's face it, if you're not speaking your truth with those closest to you, you won't really have that deep connection with them. It will feel quite superficial and isolating. Does this sound like a familiar situation? Anyone? Anyone? Like only all grievers everywhere? I know this from the work I do as a coach, and I'm sure you found the same, John. 
apart from the death of your person, one of the biggest causes of pain for grievers is how they are treated by other people. Absolutely. I was just on a call with a client earlier today that said that she went out with a couple friends she had reconnected with, she hadn't seen in a while, and she tried to talk to one about her grief, share her heart with her, you know, share her mind with her, tell a funny story about her husband with her. And every time she tried to bring those things up, her friend changed the subject, right? Beyond that, though, and that's absolutely a huge thing. I mean, well, no, let me actually stay on this point before I say beyond that. The fact that we are dropped into this whole new world without our person dealing with the devastation of their death, with the grief that comes with it, with the agony that comes with it, with the desperation and the despair that comes with it. And then you add on top of that, the feeling of nobody understands my pain. Nobody gets my pain. Nobody sees my pain. Nobody hears my pain. That alone will make you feel even more lonely as though that is even humanly possible, right? But the other part of it that I want to talk about is the fact that we live in such a culture where loneliness is almost looked upon like weakness, right? So I have to give you two examples. I was on a call with one of my clients a couple months ago. And this client is about 70 years old and had 50 years with the love of her life. And we're actually doing FaceTime. We're doing a video call, this client and I. And at some point she looks at me and she says how lonely she has been lately, right? She articulates the depths of the loneliness. And then she says to me, and you know, I know I shouldn't feel that way. And I looked at her, I paused, I took it in, I let her take it in. I pause and I go, what do you mean you should not feel that way? Like, how do you spend 50 years with someone and then they die and you expect to not feel lonely? You don't remember life without this person. You don't remember days without this person. You haven't felt lonely in 50 years. Of course, you are going to feel lonely. Now, let's look at another example before I give the mic back to Carolyn. <laughs> I have a client who finally at the age, I don't know exactly how old she was, maybe 46-ish, late 40s, 45, 46, 47, met the love of her life. Finally, she met the love of her life at that age. And she had about 11 months with him, if my memory is serving me correctly, before he died suddenly. Same thing with her, we were on a call once. And she's telling me how lonely she is. And she's saying, well, I know I shouldn't feel that way. Who says some stupid social fucking media meme that says self-love is the only love that matters? Self-love is amazing. Self-love is beautiful. But we're human. We were programmed when we were brought into this world to desire community and family and friendship and for most of us, romantic love. So whether you had a lifetime with your person and they got taken from you and you don't even know what it's like to feel lonely because you haven't felt lonely in 50 years or whether you're like my other client or even myself who got such a short amount of time with your person, you searched your whole life for that person, you finally found them and they got taken from you. A fucking course. 
you are going to feel lonely. Okay, I'm done with my rant, Carolyn. You can have the mic back. <laughs> oh, look, that's so true, John. And you'll often hear a grieving person say that they can be in a room full of people yet still feel very alone. Because feeling lonely doesn't really relate to the number of people around you or in your life. You can be in that room with a hundred people and feel very isolated and alone. Or you can be in a room with one person and feel seen and heard and really connect with them. You can have a big friend group who you hang out with quite often and not have that deeper connection with any of them. Or you might not have many friends but you still share a really special bond with them. And look, we won't dive too far into it in this episode because we talked a lot about it in episode 32. People are a version of self-care. So go back and listen to that episode if you want to know a little bit more about this. But what do you say, John? Let's look a little bit closer at all of this. All right, let's do it. We have the bright siders. The people that are looking for a silver lining or telling you how grateful you should feel, the ones who are always trying to cheer you out of your grief. Kind of in line with that, you have the positive vibes only people, right? These are the people who will go around preaching to you that if you're just positive all the time, if you're just thinking happy thoughts all the time, you'll be a-okay. Sometimes they'll even tell you that grief and sadness are the lowest vibrations and that if you feel those things, you will manifest more sadness or more negativity. Or in other words, toxic positivity, which I know is a topic I love to talk about and I have to give you the floor because it's actually your one of your absolute favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we all know I love to talk about toxic positivity. There are 70 billion reasons why any human might feel lonely and there's 170 billion reasons why a grieving person might feel lonely right but again if you're surrounded by people who are you know dishing out the toxic positivity your way you're not feeling seen you're not feeling heard it's a recipe for feeling more alone in your pain so very true and we've also got the handyman who i call mr fix it the truth is we live in a world of easy fixes, which has created a population of very impatient people. We want everything fixed and we want it done now. Of course, we know that grief can't be fixed, but you try telling that to Mr. or Mrs. Fix-It, they just <laughs> won't have a bar of it. And it doesn't matter that they haven't experienced grief at all. They can have you fixed and moving on in no time. Helpful little tip here before we go to the next one. One of my exes after Michelle passed away taught me a very valuable lesson. And she didn't say these words to me. These are my words, but this is the lesson that I learned while dating her. Sometimes people just want to vent. Sometimes people just want to speak their pain, their hopes, all of it. I, I know this is a coach, but in my own personal life, I struggled with it a little bit. Because let a friend come to me outside of grief for something else. Let my kid come to me. Let, at that time, my girlfriend come to me. And I would try to fix it. And what I learned from dating her, <laughs> and again, I already knew this with my coaching, but I didn't, I didn't always do it in my personal life, was now I will ask people in my personal life, 
do you want my ear and my heart or do you want my advice and my guidance? And I'm telling you, that's gone a very long way. I agree with that, John. It's something that we know as coaches, but um, human instinct is that we do want to fix things, as I said. So we have to remember that not just when we're coaching clients, but also in our personal life as well. And I too have got in that habit of asking people if they just need someone to listen to them or if they would like some advice or some help to work through it because quite often people do just need to vent. They just need to get that shit out. And then, of course, there's the judge and the jury. As we've said on this podcast a million times, and we will say a million more because it's the absolute truth. The people that want to judge you are going to judge you no matter what you do. They're going to judge you if you cry. They're going to judge you if you laugh. They're going to judge, judge. I can't talk today. Jesus Christ. (laughs) They're going to judge you no matter how you grieve. And they, I promise, the people that want to judge you are going to judge you no matter how you rebuild and start living again as well. And the thing is, John, that all of these things that people are doing is because that's what our society has taught us. They've told us that that's how we deal with people going through hardship and pain. And that's whether it's grievers, people with a physical or mental condition or disability, someone who's just divorced, a person with financial difficulties, people who feel misunderstood because of their gender, anyone who is going through any sort of short or long-term pain. But when you're treated like this, it leaves you feeling very isolated, feeling like you're doing everything wrong because all you're getting from the people around you is shame, judgment and advice on how to do things better. There is something very wrong with how grieving people are treated in general by those who they expect to feel close to. And of course, there are exceptions to this. Most of us will have a beautiful support person in our life. It's just unfortunate that they are few and far between. And I know you might be wondering why we're talking about this in an episode about loneliness. In case it's not clear, when you're grieving, the way that you're treated by those around you will have a huge impact on your loneliness. I know some of you will argue that they mean well and are only trying to help, but come on, let's be serious about this for a moment. How can you help someone if you're not allowing them to speak their truth? What you are doing is not helping them. It's only teaching them to hide their pain, their truth from you. You're not fixing or resolving or easing their pain by avoiding it. You are pushing their pain underground. You're leaving them to deal with their pain alone. Can you imagine what it feels like? when you're living in a world where you no longer feel understood, yet no one is even caring enough to try and understand you? We live in a society that doesn't deal well with hard things, and I'm sorry to bang on about it, but this message really needs to be heard. There are so many lonely, grieving people in this world right now who could maybe feel a little less alone if people only knew better. So this is us, 
telling you how to do better. And I'm going to get off my soapbox now. Over to you, John. Okay, I'm going to get on my soapbox. By the way, climb up. By, by the way, going back to the book, the book is also our effort to help people do better. Whether you lost your best friend, your parent, your child, your spouse, you lost somebody you loved with all your heart, and you're going to feel their absence. You're going to feel that void. You know, my dad died when I was 24. Well, he was my best friend. I didn't have him anymore here in the physical world. That obviously caused a lot of loneliness. With Michelle, she was a part of my everyday life. No, that sounds so fucking stupid. Don't edit this out, Carolyn. I want people to actually hear me call myself fucking stupid. <laughs> and you know I'm big on positive self-talk. But no, that was stupid. She wasn't a part of my everyday life. She was everything of my everyday life. She was it, right? Like everything, every moment of every day, she was it. And then you take that away and then you add in the fact that society doesn't understand and we lose people and the secondary losses and not having that hand to hold, not having that, you know, hug, not having the kiss, not having the person to talk to when something good happens, not having the person to talk to when something bad happens. I did a video on this a few months ago. I can literally remember like being in the mirror sobbing sobbing like a baby with this tears pouring down my face leaving me in a puddle of my own brokenness and i can remember in those moments thinking nobody sees this nobody sees this like nobody knows this is happening to me right now the rest of the world has gone about their life and nobody knows this fucking pain excuse my language and the loneliness that living breathing hurting humans feel during those moments and again i'm going to go back and i'm going to attack social media bullshit for a second because you know i hate it carolyn <laughs> that's real the shit you're saying is real the shit i'm saying is real when I have two clients who I absolutely adore, one who is married for 50 years to the love of her life and one who got the love of her life in her life for less than a year, feeling bad, feeling foolish for being lonely, that story is not unique to them. That's what I see all the time. People feeling bad for being lonely, people feeling weak. The fact that they got back up, the fact that you got back up, the fact that our listeners back got back up, the fact that I got back up, through that fucking loneliness, that is the exact opposite of weak. Now I'm off my soapbox and I'll give the mic back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think we we best stay off our soapboxes. <laughs> Let's stay off for a few minutes. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll be back on them again soon as this discussion keeps progressing. The thing about the soapbox, though, is know the value of it because you didn't do it for so long and because you saw once you started implementing this into your life how it brought you back to life right so we on our soapboxes but we on our soapboxes because we care and because we know that pain now i'm going to shut up and give you the mic back <laughs> that's the thing like we know these things because we've had to learn them right and we've had to learn them the hard way for a lot of these things so I guess we're trying to help others learn these things as well. 
without having to go through quite as much pain and trial and error as we had to go through when there was no one to guide us with them. So, yeah, you still, you know, you learn through hard stuff, you learn through the shit, you learn from doing things wrong, you learn from doing things right. But we have learned all this stuff. We have lived it firsthand. And now what we want to do is share our knowledge and experiences with all of you. So excuse us if we are on, on our soapbox because we are quite passionate about but, it. But in this, and we're passionate about all the episodes we do, but this again, this one again, hits a little bit closer. They all hit close to home, but this one is a little bit deeper in my soul. And two more quick things I'll say before we start getting back to our notes <laughs> for this episode and what we were intending to talk about. The first is that we want to validate the fuck out of the fact that it's normal and it's okay to feel lonely. And the other thing we also want to do is we want to tell you that there are things you can do to get to a place where you're less lonely. Doesn't mean that the loneliness is going to go away, but you have the ability to find community, even if it's really hard. You have the ability to rebuild your social circle, even if it's really hard. So the depths of the loneliness that some of you guys might be feeling, we can't snap our fingers and make that go away, of course, because your person is still not going to be here in the physical realm. But there are things we can do to ease some of that human loneliness. Exactly, John. And look, as you mentioned before, grieving people do lose a lot of people from their previous circle. And there's so many reasons for this, which we won't go into all of them right now. But quite often, widowed people will lose couples' friends. Those who have experienced child loss may lose some friends that they did kid stuff with, like their kids had play dates or things like that. People may stop inviting you because they feel it's too hard for them as well as you. Or you may feel that you simply have nothing in common with them anymore. But the thing is, the loss of your person can leave you feeling like you just don't know where you fit in now. It's so common to feel that you've lost your identity as a, a wife, a husband or partner, or as a parent, sibling or child. And you can feel very isolated from the rest of the world while you're trying to work this out. Quite often, you will emerge with different needs and expectations from those around you than you once had. Yeah, absolutely. To everything you just said. And it goes back to something you said earlier in the episode, which is, you know, you can feel lonely in a crowded room, right? You can feel lonely surrounded by people. And sometimes when you're grieving, that's even more profound. There's a quote that I put on my social media a couple years ago, and it's one of the more popular things I've ever put on social media. So it says, Sometimes being around happy couples and families can be so hard. It's not about being jealous or having ill will. It's about seeing what you once had and the ache that you feel for all that was lost. The whole third wheel, the whole fifth wheel thing, the whole being around couples thing, the whole, you know, if you lost a child, you know, seeing a family with a child, like, this doesn't make us bad people that that that's difficult on us. It makes us human. I, I'm, I'm going to share a personal story right now. So 
I today shared a picture, and we're recording this February 7th. I shared a picture of Allie and I, who I've been dating for 18 months on my social media, on my coaching page. The first time in seven years that I have talked about my dating life on my coaching page. I know I've talked about it a little bit on this podcast, but the first time in seven years I've talked about my dating life at all on my social media. I shared a picture of Allie. It got like a thousand likes in 50 minutes. I've never had anything get a thousand likes in 50 minutes, but I also got unfollowed by 25 people. Because for those people, it probably fucking showed the void of what they're missing right in front of their face, right? Like, I get that. Like sometimes, you know, if, if you're starving for food, if you haven't eaten food in a week and your best friend posts a picture of a fucking double cheeseburger they're about to eat, you're probably going to unfollow that motherfucker, right? Because <laughs> you're like, I can't be looking at this right now. I can't be looking at this right now. And that's sometimes what happens with the third wheel or the fifth wheel. It just reminds us of what we had and no longer currently have. And sometimes that can make us feel much lonelier. Wow, yeah, I, I hadn't seen that post yet, John. So, um, yeah, I'll have I'll have to have a look. Be you can take a look. <laughs> yeah, actually, we will be nice to see Ali's face on there. Now, John, I know we both have clients who will ask us. So, what do you do when people invite you to things that you're just not ready for, but you're worried that they'll stop asking if you keep saying no? And what I usually suggest to them is to just be truthful. So you could say something along the lines of, I really appreciate the invite. And even though I don't feel up to it right now, I know that there will be a time when I do. So please don't stop asking me. 100 million percent. That is exactly what I recommend everybody do. What happens for a lot of people is maybe the first year, maybe you are getting a lot of invites and maybe you don't want to go, right? You're not up for it emotionally. You don't want to be around other couples, et cetera, et cetera. Then all of a sudden year two comes around and maybe now you start wanting to get out a little bit more, be a little bit more social, start rebuilding. But you've turned down two, seven, 14 invites from your friends and people stop asking. So absolutely, Carolyn, what you said is exactly how I think we should handle this. John, I just wanted to share a story about a client of mine. Now, this client felt like some friends that asked her to go out to dinner every now and again didn't really want to go out with her and were only doing so because of a late husband. You see, they were friends that she knew through her husband and even though she would go, she really just had it in her head that they were only doing it out of obligation to him. So we had a little chat about it and I asked her if she enjoyed the night out with him when she did go and how she felt afterwards. She told me that it was really nice and she felt so much better afterwards. I asked her if the friends seemed to be enjoying themselves, to which she replied, yes, we all seemed to get on really well together. I asked her how long they'd been arranging these dinners for and she told me that it was since her husband died, which was just over a year. So by her looking at those responses to those few questions, she was able to realise that it was okay to just go along and enjoy doing something that made her feel better. 
she was having a good time, her friends were having a good time, and the fact that they were still asking her to do this a year later, well, you know, that's got to say something as well. You know what I love what you did there with your client, right? You just asked the questions and by answering it, she came to her own conclusion. Yeah, exactly. That is the most beautiful form of coaching. I love it. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to get on my soapbox here because I, I will go on a 72 hour rant and nobody wants to hear my voice for 72 hours in a row. Michelle said that my voice used to tell me that it sounds like nails on a chalkboard. Oh. So we're not going to punish people like that. Okay. But what I will say is that with that client, her self-esteem and her self-worth almost created self-sabotage, right? And you were able to help her rein it in. So job well done for you, (laughs) job well done for her for getting out of her own way there, okay? I want to talk for a minute about going out alone. Now, I know that this is completely off-putting to a lot of people. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to do it. And I hear that. But for a lot of other people, it works. So one of my absolute favorite versions of self-care is taking myself out to breakfast. I love taking myself out to breakfast, getting up early, going, you know, either going with some paper, pen, writing, having my earbuds in, listening to music, whatever it is, just eating that breakfast in solitude at a restaurant. That's a version of self-care for me. I know that for a lot of widowed people, traveling and traveling alone has proven incredibly healing to them and beneficial and has been something that has helped them discover kind of who they are now, what they want out of this life now, et cetera. So again, I know it's not for everybody, but sometimes it's okay to test the waters. I never would have thought that taking myself out to breakfast would be a version of self-care. I never would have thought that I would have enjoyed traveling myself, but I do. I dip my toe in those waters and I like the way it felt. Yeah, John, look, I came to the realisation that if I didn't start doing some things alone at times, if I was waiting for other people, that I probably wouldn't do a whole lot of stuff. So I do take myself out at different times for different things and sometimes beautiful things that you don't expect can happen. And and an example of that is a story that I shared last week about when I went out for an anniversary lunch for Tony and mine anniversary but you know it can be quite scary at first so I found that sometimes you know earlier on I did have my ear pods in or I did do some writing or had something to distract me a little bit as well but now I find that I just like to sit there and I like to people watch I like to just take everything in the the smells the sounds and be really present in the moment And there's lots of different things that I've done. And I guess I did have a bit of practice prior because I was single um, after my divorce for quite a number of years. So I had a bit of practice then, but I don't know that that made it any easier because once I had Tony and had someone to do those things with, it was really hard to going back to doing those things alone. But, um, It has been a worthwhile experience. I will say that. The other thing I'll say about that quickly is that doesn't mean I like doing everything alone. 
part of getting to know yourself after a profound loss is paying incredibly close attention to you. Who are you around when you feel better? Who are you around when you feel worse? What are you doing when you feel better? What are you doing when you feel worse? Where are you at when you feel better? Where are you at when you feel worse? So there are things that I hate doing alone, right? I'm not going to do everything alone, but I'm paying attention to myself and starting to discover what I like. And again, I've discovered some things. Other things, I'm like, I'm not doing that alone. Fuck no, I'm not doing that alone. So it's really zoning in on yourself that's key here. That is such an important point, John. I'm really glad you brought that up because it really is a a journey of self-discovery when you're doing all these things. I'd also like to mention a bit about living alone and cooking for one person, all that sort of thing, because quite often for a lot of widowed people, you go from living, you know, with your partner to all of a sudden you're living alone and everything changes. And I know we've talked about this a lot when we've talked about secondary losses, but your day-to-day living is just turned upside down and everything in your life has changed. It does, does take a little while to get used to that. So once again, it's a bit of trial and error. So finding things that help you when you are living alone or when you are cooking for one person or whatever you might be doing. Try things out and see how it works for you. And look, for a lot of people, there might be a certain time of day that's worse. So I know that, you know, weekends tend to be really hard on lonely people. During different points in my life when I was profoundly lonely, the summer was the worst because during the winter, okay, I could kind of hibernate, right? The rest of the world is kind of hibernating. But you go out during the summer and everyone's having, you know, cookouts with their family and doing things with their friends. And if you're feeling lonely, sometimes that's going to shine a very bright light on that loneliness and it's going to make it feel worse. I know that for widowed people, a lot of widowed people say nights are the worst for them. For me, it was always the mornings. I would just want to die every single morning waking up. And then you factor into that COVID and the fact that the world shut down for, I don't know what it was, you know, a year, a year and a half. Yeah. Look, COVID certainly has had a big impact on the entire world as far as loneliness goes. Let's have a bit of a discussion about how we go about making new friends and finding our community and things that can be more helpful for loneliness. Hold on, Carolyn. I I don't want to cut you off, but I have to say something before we start this part of the conversation. I can put myself back to that 12-year-old boy I was talking about earlier. I can put myself back to that 31, 32 year old man I was talking about earlier. If you don't have community, supportive family, if you don't have friends, if you don't have a circle, the thought of having to rebuild that can seem completely overwhelming. I can put myself back into those moments and it felt like I was suffocating from the thought of having to do this. How do you do it? How is it possible? And how do you do it? And how is it possible when you're already deep in grief? So before we have this conversation, I just want everyone who's listening to this, if you do need 
to find new friends, if you do need to find new community, to know that it's okay if it seems completely overwhelming, but also we need you to know that it is completely possible as well. So let's give a couple tips, and we probably need to do an entire episode on this fairly soon, now that I'm saying it, right? But let's just give a couple brief tips on how people can start to try to build that community or find a new social circle, okay? So I'm just gonna ramble off a couple and then I'll give it back to you to ramble off a couple as well. So first of all, let me say this. I believe that when we're looking to expand our circle, we have to treat friendships the way we treat romantic love in the sense that somebody's gotta make the first move. I could tell you story after story after story, but we'll do an entire episode on this one day. Somebody's got to make the first move, right? Like you have to take the initiative. You have to try to make new connections. When you have that connection, you have to try to foster that relationship and, and, and you know, become better friends with that person, spend more time with that person. Okay. So that's one thing. Get involved in things that interest you. And if you're not sure what interests you, take some chances and try to find out, you know, go volunteer, join a book club, go to a widowed meetup. All of these ways are ways that you can meet new humans. Now, maybe nothing will come from it, but maybe there will be something that comes from it. You and I, Carolyn, like, look at how we became friends, right? Like, when we think about romantic love, we know that What's the, what's the question you always ask a couple when they start dating? How did you meet? How did you meet? And it's always, you know, a different answer. Oh, we met online. We met at the grocery store. You know, we dated in high school and we reunited. You know, tell me again. You met Tony online, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's always a different answer. And there's the wildest stories. The same thing is true for friendships. You put yourself out into the world. You try to make connections. And you know what? Maybe it doesn't go your way the first two times or the first 80 times or the first 82 times, but you don't need a million people in your life to make your life feel a little bit fuller. You need a couple quality people. So when you're looking at community and when you're looking at rebuilding your social circle, as overwhelming as it can be, I'm not preaching from a soapbox, y'all. There's a reason why this episode is one of the deepest episodes in my soul that we have done. You start with baby steps and you try to put yourself in places where you will actually meet new humans. Now, John, I just want to take a moment to talk about grief communities. Connecting with others who are on the same path as you and truly understand what you're experiencing can be really life-changing. The healing power of a grief community should never be underestimated. So how do you find your grief community? Well, many of you listening to this are possibly already in, say, a Facebook grief group, where John and I, of course, have our own, which is the My Person Die To community. So if you're not already a part of that, please jump on the link in the show notes and come join us. But there are many online communities available. There's also in-person groups. There's some groups that uh, meet up for support, some meet up for lunches or social outings. 
So there's a good variety of online and in-person groups available. You might also meet your grief community through group grief coaching programs or workshops. So there are quite a few options available today. Finding that deep connection might come from someone in your own community who has had a similar type of loss, or it could even be with someone virtually from across the globe. If grief is now in your life and you aren't yet part of a community, please seek out what is available, either online or in your local area. And look, we certainly understand that the thought of this may be a bit intimidating at first. And I know for me personally, it it was initially, and for most people I know it has been as well. However, the upside of such connections is really healing and profound. And you'll find that you share a special bond, that special connection that you don't have with many in the outside world because as we talked about so many people don't understand you but these people do they experience the same thing so you create such a special bond as these new friendships are formed and an important thing to remember while you are building this new circle around you is to know what you need and what you want Because what you needed and wanted before your person died is very different to now. Be aware of having some balance in your circle and in your life. So yes, have friends that are supportive in your grief, but allow space for those who, while they may not be the best grief support, they do provide so much value to your life in other ways. Friends to go out with socially, sports team friends, maybe colleagues, friends to go to the movies with, and so on and so on. For instance, if you catch up with Jenny for lunch once a month and really enjoy it, that's once a month when you're not feeling lonely. And the thing is that little wins like that can really build momentum. Yeah, let me just say this to end the episode. So again, I'm going to beat a dead horse here for a second. Do y'all use that expression out there? Beat a dead we horse? We sure do. Yes, okay. we do. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to beat a dead horse here for a second and say that if you're out there and you're feeling lonely, it's normal. It's okay. It's not weak. You are human. And loneliness is something that we can feel. I'm going to repeat something I said earlier, word for word. We are human, and when we were brought into this world, we were programmed to desire community and family and friendship, and yeah, for most of us, romantic love. That being said, while nothing is going to replace the person you lost, you lost your kid, having another kid isn't going to replace that kid. We know that. Okay, I'm in a relationship with Allie. She does not replace Michelle. The void of Michelle, the absence of Michelle is still here. We know all this. That being said, we are always one thing away from a completely different life. And we know that from a bad way, right? We know that from the bad shit that's happened to us. You and I, Carolyn, know that, you know, Tony got cancer. That was one thing away from a completely different life. Michelle got cancer. That was one thing away from a completely different life. Somebody out there right now is listening and their, you know, their spouse died in a car accident. One thing away from a completely different life. But that's also true in a good way. 
You're one thing away from a completely different life in a good way. You're one friend away from new laughter. You're one relocation away from new opportunities. You're one new hobby or job away from a new purpose or passion. You're one new love away from having love in your life again. You're one moment of self-growth or hope away from a new perspective. So when we're looking at profound loneliness, my point is, if you're out there right now and you're profoundly lonely, just as everything else changes and evolves, so does this, and it can one day get better. Thank you for listening to the My Person Died To podcast. For full information on our books, coaching services, and other offerings, visit our websites, carolyngowercoaching.com.au and johnpolocoaching.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful, please spread the word so that we're able to support more people through grief. Thank you.